0: Okay, that was enough of an introduction, so we'll just we'll just jump, jump straight into it. Okay, so back in the dial-up days, we we're at piece of the internet being this sort of this temporary thing. You know, uh, we dial in, we we log <coughs> in, we check our email, then we get out of there. Uh, but now we're at a state where we're almost always online, and we carry connected devices with us everywhere. I mean, everyone in this room will have at least one device that's permanently connected to the internet, sitting in their pocket, and that makes being without a connection like a, a much bigger deal than it than it used to be. I don't know if anyone's been abroad recently and had to data roam. When, when, I, when I go data roaming, I feel like I'm a gambling addict. I, I know that every time I connect, I'm hemorrhaging money, but I can't help myself. My, my phone makes this little sort of beeping noise whenever I, whenever I data roam as a kind of warning, but I don't really need it, because I can almost hear the champagne corks going off in the T-Mobile office, you know. Every megabyte I download, they're thinking about the new cars they're going to buy with it. I'm, I'm disgusted by my own dependency on data. Um, when I was at work in my previous company, actually, uh, the team, I needed to take a dump, which is a thing I do. And there are five five cubicles to choose from. (laughs) Unfortunately, very much as it is here, uh, unfortunately, the first four cubicles were occupied at this particular time. And that's usually okay, because I tend to only use one toilet at a time, unless it's (laughs) some kind of extreme circumstance. (laughs) But I knew from previous experience that the office Wi-Fi only covered the first four cubicles. (laughs) (laughs) And mobile data didn't work in there either. Um, I kind of... I I thought for a moment, and I went, no, I find this totally unacceptable now. And I turned round and went back to my desk, and I waited until later. And that's when I realised I've become a person who now requires an internet connection to take a shit. (laughs) What can we do to fix this? Well, we can't create data out of nowhere. We can't fix this completely, but we can make our sites work offline with pre-downloaded data, and we can let users use that pre-downloaded data in in new ways. So, someone you were asking earlier about, you know, we've got HTTP caching, that's been in the browsers for a long, long time, uh, but neither the user of the website or the developer of the website have enough control over that cache to create a a reliable offline experience. There's no contract there that the browser can get rid of one or more files as part of your website without telling you. And you end up with this sort of half state where things don't work. And Google weren't happy with this, and they created local server as part of Google Gears. And that lets you create stores of data, feed against URLs, and that will be available to you offline. And as you can see, that's not around anymore. Uh, It's no longer active, because most of the ideas were taken on by the web applications group. The offline stuff specifically was reimagined as uh, offline web applications. And therein lies the application cache, which is the kind of anti-hero of this talk. Now, the application cache is a bit like a candidate from The Apprentice. Now, (coughs) I quite like Alan Sugar. He may look like a shaved hedgehog who's suffering from ingrowing spines, but I don't know if you've seen the US version, but it gives you a new respect for for Alan Sugar. In the US, they have this man. They've got Donald Trump, whose hair looks like a cloud of piss that's (laughs) come on top of his head, on top of this kind of ragged sex doll of a man. but the, the, the application cast is more like one of the candidates, one of these guys, This is uh, this year's lot. When they're interviewed, they're incredibly confident. They're, you know, they're incredibly uh, good at selling themselves. They'll turn to the camera, look it straight in the lens, and they'll say, I can turn your offline experience from sucks ass to success. <laughs> um, and it's really easy. Just one file and boshes, as it works. But when they're given the task, they'll, they'll desperately try and take over the whole operation, trample over everything else, uh, just to try and get themselves noticed. The job will get done, in a manner of speaking, but you're left with this big, horrible, loud business douchebag at the centre of it all. And you have to be very careful to hide that douchebag from the end user. And we're going to look at how you would go about doing that. How you would use application cache, it kind of depends on on what kind of site it is. And the two extremes we're going to look at uh, are sites that tend towards doing stuff with content and sites that tend towards finding uh, content. So, examples of Get Stuff sites, things like Wikipedia, uh, National Rail site, YouTube, Twitter. These sites, they tend to have lots and lots of content, and as a user, you find the content, and then you look at the content. The heavy lifting tends to be done on the server, and they, have, they should have lots of URLs that are meaningful. You know, Twitter's not so great at that, but that's, that's what they should do. Do Stuff sites, things like Google Docs, uh, linters and validators, games, and um, online IDEs, they tend to have quite a small amount, relatively small amount of content themselves, but you can do a lot with that content or create your own content. Heavy lifting tends to be done on the clients, or could be done on the client, uh, and they tend to have quite few URLs. This is the main case that application cache was designed for, but the application spec is a bit like an onion in that it has many layers, and it can reduce a grown developer to tiers if you're forced to peel through them, as I was. So how would you go offli- about offlining a uh, do-stuff site? Now I realise there that I've just taken the word offline and verbified it. Uh, In fact, I just took the word verb and verbified it. (laughs) Unfortunately, there isn't a good verb for making something work offline, so I've taken a few verbal shortcuts. And I'm told it's best to explain things using your own words these arms aren't even in the dictionary, so extra points for me, I think. <laughs> we're going to look at off-linerizing Sprite <laughs> <now>. <laughs> and, uh, I don't know if you see a Sprite <laughs> now. I don't make a lot of useful stuff. This is the only useful thing I ever made. Um, but it's, it's... I'll give you a quick demo. I'm going to load an example. Chrome has a bit of a panic. Uh, you click on part of a Sprite image, and it gives you the CSS for that part of the Sprite sheet. So, Very simple one HTML page, all the processing is client-side, all the server does is just serve the assets. And this is a live demo running inside Chrome, and as you might expect if I were to cut the connection and if I refresh the page, everything fails as you might expect. And that's a shame because it would be nice to be able to use something like this on on the train or on the plane or whatever, so let's go about fixing that. To make the site work offline we take our HTML elements, we point it at a manifest like this, and fortunately the manifest file isn't XML, we've got over that whole thing. Unfortunately, it's like a custom-baked format that they came up with. It starts with cache manifest in big capital letters, which is a bit of a warning sign really, because that's quite a douchebag thing to do, to shout your own name right at the start. But, <laughs> but after that, just list, the, just list all the files that you're going to use, your CSS, your JavaScript, your assets used by the, uh, those two files as well. All of these are relative to the application cache file itself. But you can also include absolute URLs. The the only rule is you can't cross the schemes. If your site's HTTPS, all of these needs to be on HTTPS as well. You'll uh, notice that the HTML page isn't listed itself here. That's because any any page that points to a manifest is implicitly cached. It automatically becomes part of the cache. And you need to make sure that you serve that with content type text slash cache manifest. That requirement is going to be dropped from the specification. It might already have been, but current implementations they still require it. So you need to do that for the moment. And that's it, that one small change. I'll be able to drop the connection, hopefully, if my demo works. Right, and hit refresh, and it still works. So, success there. Browser support for that is, is actually pretty good. Um, all the friendly desktop browsers, they support it. they support it quite a while. Mobile support is pretty good. It started off a bit shaky, but it's got a lot better in the later versions of these things. Unfortunately, there's no support in IE, and that means no support in Windows Mobile either. Although the latest previews of IE 10, they support it, so it's probably going to be there when that browser ships. All the browsers let you use application cache transparently. Uh, The exception is Firefox, which will show a message like that, and the user has to click Allow to make it work. And that's the same on Firefox Mobile as well. At first, it can seem like application cache is this small piece of progressive enhancement. Uh, but watch this. If I go into an editor, and so we've got the, the heading there for the, for the page, and I'm going to change it to, say, hello, LDN, JS. And I'm going to add a semicolon at the end there just to start a holy war. <laughs> <laughs> and if I refresh the page... Nothing's, nothing's happening, that header's not changing. The behavior of the site has significantly changed just from us adding that manifest. This is the first piece of douchebaggery that we're going to look at. The application cache completely takes over. I'm gonna try and sum up what we've seen so far. So the first time you look at a page, it's loaded normally, and then if the page is in HTML and it has a manifest, the manifest is downloaded. And then all the files that form part of that manifest, they're downloaded, and if they all download, fine then they form a cache. If any of those files, 404s, 500s, DNS error, any of those things, the whole cache will fail. None of those files will go into a cache. And I've seen that described as a a gotcha, but no, this is actually a really good thing. This is what makes it better than the normal HTTP cache, because we have this. We can now rely on the cache files being all there or all not there, and and that's, that's much better. Subsequent requests to your page, they may go differently. If the file that you're requesting, if it is, if it's app-cached, then it will come from the app cache. Otherwise, things go as we've already seen. A lot of blog posts and speakers on the subject, they make the, the assumption that the cached version is only used while you're offline. Um, no, that's not true, it'll always be served. It, if it's in the cache, it will be it will come from the cache. On the plus side, the browser doesn't have to spend time working out if you're offline or not, because y- offline could mean you, know, you have a physical cable not connected, or the thing you're connected to doesn't have an internet connection, or there's some kind of problem with a proxy, DNS is down, the site itself is down there's no easy way to detect that that takes time, so this system means that if you've got a page cached you'll get it instantly no matter what the state of your connection so although the page always comes from the cache if it's in the cache, it will in the background if it's HTML, uh, request the manifest again and look for updates but if it's checking for updates then why aren't you why aren't getting this heading, what's going on there, this is another piece of douchebaggery, the application cache has its own system of cache validation you see, the, the application cache won't update files unless the manifest file has changed in some way. And I mean any kind of change, anything that makes it not byte identical. So here's the manifest that we had before. You'll see a lot of the static assets, they've got version numbers in there, so like version one. So they're all far future cached, so updating those involves changing the file name to like V2. And that's also a change in the manifest file, so everything will update just kind of as we'd expect. That's fine if we're doing CSS, JavaScript, but we change the HTML file, and that's not listed here. Uh, But even if it was listed here, it's not going to change the URL, so that doesn't (laughs) help us. Common practice to get around this is to have uh, a comment in the file. Comments start with a hash symbol in cache manifests. And although it's a comment, changing that still counts as a change in the manifest file, and that will trigger the system to start updating everything in there. Here I just use a single digit. You could use some kind of build system, something based around e-tags, something a bit cleverer. This is the biggest ball lake when developing app cache sites. Because every time you change any of a file, <coughs> you have to go and update this file, change this number here as well. And you can't just generate a random number. When a uh, cache is updated, it requests a manifest, and it downloads all the files in it, and then it requests the manifest again. And if there's been a change halfway through its update, it won't let the cache settle. It will fail. The reason for this is it might think that it downloaded the first two files from the previous version and the last three files from the later version. It's kind of quite a clever thing to do. It, it, it will avoid that situation, but it means you—you you know if your manifest is updating too frequently, your cache won't work. It won't save. It will keep retrying. Another thing is there's a pure uh, cache heuristics. The byte-for-byte manifest jack, that's additional to normal HTTP caching. The, the normal HTTP caching is still sitting underneath. And you shouldn't be using the application cache as a replacement for caching. You should only be using it to make something work offline. And that might seem obvious, but this is what catches pretty much everyone out. It caught me out when I first started playing with application cache, because you'll, you know, set everything up correctly, you'll update a file, you'll update the manifest as well, but you'll still you'll see no changes. And quite often that's because people are just noodling around on their local Apache server and they, they're not serving any kind of cache headers. Now, with HTTP cache, you know, we can, HTTP 1.1 cache instructions, we can do, we can say a lot of stuff, even at a basic level, we can say, don't cache this file, <coughs> or come and check with the server, it might have changed, or assume this version is going to be the same for a year. Without one of these, the application cache, it goes to the networking layer in the browser and say, hey, could, could you update this file? And the networking layer goes, oh, this file doesn't have any caching instructions. How should I update it? Oh, yeah, however the fuck I want. And it will quite often do the thing that means the less effort to itself because it wants to be as fast as possible. And quite often it will just hand the file back and go, it's probably okay. <laughs> the app cache will unwittingly, and it won't give you any indication this has happened, it will unwittingly update itself from the normal browser cache with a stale version. And that can be a good thing because it means, you know, you could have a lot of files in your application cache, but if you're in control of when they expire... Uh, even a change to the manifest file will only make a couple of requests, and that's good when it's under control. But out of control copying, uh, like's happening here, that's that's bad. I mean, out of control copying took Street Fighter and turned it into Street Fighter the movie, <laughs> and then turned it into Street Fighter the movie the game this this as a thing that actually happened <laughs> unbelievable i assume at this point someone had to step in and reboot hollywood and the games industry before they just got some kind of st- stack overflow or something <laughs> in terms of your manifest uh, you'll want to far future cache anything that changes infrequently and can easily change the url for content that changes but can't change the url such as you know html pages serve that with no cache or must be validated But make sure you change a comment in the manifest when when that file updates to to force the update to happen. Now, following that advice, you might think you could do the same with the manifest file itself. So you could give the uh, manifest file a version number in its URL, and then when you want to update it, and you can file future cache that, and that will save you an HTTP request on every page. And then when you've got an update, just put V2 in there, and then the browser will pick up the changes from the new file. You must never, ever do this. And it's not obvious, but the application cache will really punish you for doing this. The problem here is, where does the browser find out about the new manifest? Well, from the updated HTML file. <coughs> but where does it find out about the updated HTML file? From the new manifest. And you've created a circular dependency that you, that you can never, never satisfy. And I did it to SpriteCout, and it was about 30 minutes before I kind of had walked away from the laptop. I think I was making food, and I realized what I did, I had to take everything off Hobbs and just go and fix it. According to mm-hmm. Google Analytics, 20 people have visited the site uh, in that time. Those 20 users will never get an update to the site ever again. <laughs> 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 but, you know, <laughs> they now live the life of BlackBerry customers, you know, everyone's getting shiny, and you start except them, the same thing over and over. <laughs> Unless they change the or empty their cache, whatever. <laughs> so, so why is there this extra step? Why do we have to change the manifest file to get to get new stuff? Well, it's, it's a stupid reason, in my opinion, but, but this is it. Imagine you had a manifest like this, uh, 50 entries, and they can't change the URL. Updating this manifest involves 50 HTTP requests, 52 if you include the manifest at either side. Uh, the text-changing trick is to stop those 50 requests happening on every page. But it's not really a solution. It's just being Basically, making (coughs) it our problem. It's not the specs problem anymore, it's our problem. We have to decide when to do those 50 requests. But let's prove a point. Let's get that heading changed. So I go into the editor, I'm going to go into the cache file, and let's put say v2 there and save that. And now to refresh the page, no change. Refresh it again, hooray, it's changed. But we saw something important there. It's another piece of douchebaggery. It took us two refreshes to get that change. And that's by design. As you can see, we get the version from the cache, if it's in the cache. And then the manifest updates afterwards. So that means the user's looking at an old version while they're getting the new version (coughs) is happening. They might actually have the new version, but they're not seeing it you could try and deal with this with javascript there's an event called update ready and that's fired on the application cache objects when uh, the browser has detected a change to the manifest file and it's successfully fetched all the files within and created a cache out of them at this point you can call swap cache and what that does is that starts using the new cache immediately but at that point the horse has already bolted. You know, you've had all the requests that have happened that have built the page. It'll only be things like XHR and, or maybe images that you would insert into the DOM later on that will be used by the, the new cache. And you've got this sort of odd situation where some things are from the new cache, some things are from the old cache. It's really odd that this made it into the spec over some glaring omissions because there's very few use cases for swap cache. If you find yourself using it, you, you might be doing it wrong. <laughs> You could reload the page, just force a reload, and that would mean the user seeing the new version of the page. But that's a really bad interaction. I mean, imagine you're on Gmail, you're halfway through composing an email, and then the page just refreshes on itself because there's an, an update. And you know, those updates could be big, or the network could be slow. The user could have done some serious interacting with your site by the time this happens. Not a great experience. Uh, a compromise is just to within your app show some kind of message. You've probably seen this on Google stuff, like you know, invite the user to reload the page at their convenience. Or another uh, compromise is just to not care. And that's why I did a sprite cow. It doesn't really matter. People might be on the version before for one viewing. But it's not really... Uh, people aren't going to have it open for a long, long time. It doesn't matter. They'll get the change the next time around. It's fine. So, surely... I mean, this is a simple example, by the way. I mean, surely we're done by now. Unfortunately, a nasty little bug has crept in. Our analytics have stopped working. And you would only spot this if you were looking in like, Inspector or Firebug or whatever. So what's going on here? Let's pick a more visual example for that. So here here are some cats. This page uses a manifest. The manifest only caches, like A CSS file and obviously itself, the the page, because it's implicitly cached. Those images aren't part of the cache. And if I refresh the page, oh, there's an example that's not working. Oh, that's annoying. I wonder if I can encourage it to work. There we go, hey! Hey. Hey. By work, I mean fail, obviously, but I wanted it to fail. Um, yes, so the, on the second reload, let's pretend that that didn't happen, on the second reload, the images have failed. And this is a, another piece of, of douchebaggery. The application cache doesn't like stuff that isn't in the application cache. The first time we saw the page, it wasn't cached. The images worked. We refreshed the page, it came from the cache. <coughs> the images failed, even though we were online. To explain this, I'm afraid we have to go back to the diagram. And unfortunately, we've missed some detail from, from the very start. When the browser makes a GET request, uh, it looks to see if that URL is associated with a manifest. And if it is, it uses it. Um, and things continue as, as, as we've already seen. If the URL isn't associated with a manifest, the request just happens normally, as, as we're used to requests happening. That sounds like a complicated way of saying what we've already said, but here's the difference. Each request that is triggered by a cached page, things like your CSS, your JavaScript, your images like we saw before, They go back through the system, but they don't reselect a manifest. They'll use the manifest of the host page. And if the image is cached, then fine, it comes from the cache. If it isn't in the cache, the connection will fail. And that's what we saw there, just everything would break. It's no coincidence that this part of the specification is in section 6.6. (laughs) 6. <laughs> this is the specification of the beast. <laughs> this is where all the gnarly problems are as well. So that's what's happening here. That's why those images are failing. But we can fix it using the networking section of, a, uh, of an application cache. And here we can put full URLs or we can just put a star, and that will make things start working again. What this is doing is if the URL isn't cached um, but it is specifically listed in the network, it will be requested normally. Otherwise, if star is in network, then the file will be requested normally. Otherwise, it will fail. And so those files won't work when you're offline, they're not cached, but they will work while you're online. So you need to make sure your online only stuff, such as analytics, that they're covered by one of these two cases in the networking section. Well, that's it. That, that is actually it for the simple example. Um, and I think it was at this point that I wanted to lock myself in the bathroom until the internet had gone away. <laughs> in the end cubicle of the team where I know it can't get me. But let's look a little bit deeper. Let's peel the app cache onion a little bit further. Let's look at offline a get stuff site. Now I'm going to use m.lining.com as an example because that's what I built that made me find out about all of this stuff. And it's a good piece of gratuitous promotion as well. Now... Don't have a connection, so that page isn't working, but it proves that it works offline, in a way. We'll see more of it working in a second. It lets you look up sort of future conferences and things. You can get information about ones you're tracking and attending, Uh, you can see information about a particular conference. I don't have that one cached. Should have connected to the internet, Never mind. Having this stuff work offline would be uh, great, but there's far too much data to save everything. It's the same same with VFT, right? There's, there's, There's too much there. But user tends to be only interested in a subset of the data. How can we make a site like this work offline? Mark Pilgrim's Dive into HTML5, they had a, a, it was a decent section on, on AppCache there, and they had a, 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 he had a different, uh, an interesting theory on how you might create an offline version of Wikipedia. So that, that could apply to Lanyard, so let's have a look at that. So offline writes Wikipedia, it worked by, on every page, pointing at uh, a manifest. And the manifest would just have CSS, JavaScript, imagery, just stuff that we've seen so far. But because every page that points at a manifest is implicitly cached, as you sort of get yourself lost in the Wikipedia labyrinth, more and more of the site is becoming available to you offline. And that will be any page you visit should be available to you uh, when you don't have a connection. And it's really simple; it doesn't even require JavaScript. Such a simple solution, but it's also just not good enough at all because there's no indication of which pages are going to be available to the user once they go offline. One of the major oversights in specification: there's nothing in JavaScript you can use to query a page and to say, "Are you available offline? Have you cached?" You can't just go to the cache and say tell me what's inside the cache. It's not there. Um, obviously, you could download your manifest and parse the manifest and find out what's there, but that doesn't work for implicitly cached items like in, in this example. And it's near impossible to manage these updates as well because the those cache pages, they'll only update every, you know, when the manifest file changes. We saw that before. So when would we update the manifest? When would we change that comment? Every time a page on Wikipedia changes, that's that's ridiculous. That's going to be far too... It's far too frequent. And those updates are going to be really, really heavy. Imagine you looked at 100 pages on Wikipedia. You change that manifest file, and it's going to change frequently. That's 100 HTTP requests there just for the the HTML pages themselves. And then they don't have far future caching, so they're all going to download. And that number's only going to get bigger and bigger, and there's no way we can remove certain items from that. Eventually, it'll hit the, the limits that we saw before, and everything will fail, and there's nothing we can do about it. So ideally, we want to show up-to-date content while the users online, avoid showing them stale data, and control which content is, is cached and defer some of that control to the user, either in the way of like sort of read later, save offline buttons, something like that, something that they know uh, they've, you know, they've, they'll get that offline later on, they can control what they, what they keep later. I mean, we need to be able to indicate which of that content is available offline, make sure the user knows what they can get without connection. I really wanted to use JavaScript and application cache as enhancements uh, because this is the way it should be done. And I, I don't understand this idea of rules being different on mobile. All of a sudden, you know, we're on the mobile now, we will require JavaScript, we won't use progressive enhancement, we'll have our own layer of everything even though it's already in the browser. It's, it was a bad idea in 2001. And I think it's a bad idea now. Do stuff sites such as SpriteCow, um, they require JavaScript because you couldn't really do that just on the server or it would be Ridiculous to try. Find stuff sites shouldn't, and look at the Twitter site is the the prime example of a site gone wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, all it is is 140 characters. Yet, yeah, you know, you hit a URL for one entry in Twitter, and you go, you, you're redirected to one page. It downloads about a megabyte of JavaScript, <laughs> and then it re- downloads some JSON, and you finally get. It's not the right way of doing it. And we want to set all that up with a single view to any page on the site. The browser should pick up the manifest, all the required files from, from any page. Uh, we can't tell people to go to slash offline for the offline stuff. But the application cache makes this really, really difficult. When I was a kid, uh, we had a, a sandpit in, in our garden. And I'd go there to you know build stuff, to play. It was a really kind of, it was a creative outlet for me. However, the family cats also used the sandpit <laughs> for a different... Completely different kind of outlet. <laughs> Turns out you can't make sandcastles out of catch it. <laughs> but I made some stunning catch-it castles. <laughs> but fast forward 20 years and, and here I am again, someone, someone shitting in my sandbox. This time it's the application cache. Putting a manifest attribute on a page means the application cache moves in and takes over. That page will be cached, there's no way around there. To solve this whole thing, we take the application cache and we pop it in a box. Where he can be shrubbing a douchebag until we care whether he's dead or alive. <laughs> <laughs> Keep him completely out of the way. And the way we do this is we, we use the manifest on one page only, on a special page, like offline stuff.html whatever. But we make sure the browser knows about that page from any other by including it as a, a hidden iframe. So the user hits any page on the site, that page will load. <coughs> the manifest, just all the, the usual stuff that we've seen so far, but one new rule, and that's fallback. Uh fallback rule takes two parts, a URL prefix to match against a particular URL, and then a relative path to something to cache. This is where the, the manifest format is getting a little bit complicated. This is when they should have used JSON. The Google Gear stuff used JSON, and it looked a, it was a much more readable, and did a lot more. So what does this fallback stuff do? Well, if a URL isn't specifically listed in the network section, but the URL matches one of those first parts of one of your fallback rules, and it'll try and match against the longest um, the longest prefix so you can kind of uh, have ones that a URL can match two fallbacks but you can match against the longest one so you can have one for your images folder one for xhr stuff and one catch all like we have and if there's a match it will request that file normally and if that request works, if that request just happens fine, comes back fine then it will just carry on as if there wasn't a manifest there at all, it will just work if the request fails then it will get the second part of the fallback rule and it will use that from the cache So that lets us create a site that works normally while you're online but if I refresh the page uh, after losing the connection we get a completely different page. And the URL stays the same at this point as well so if I bring the connection back and and refresh it's not a redirect, we get the online page again. Unfortunately this gets us into some browser troubles doing this. By, By using Fallback we wave goodbye to Opera Support. It just doesn't work. It pretends to uh, it got a little bit better in Opera twelve. They've got they know about it, so hopefully they'll they'll fix it soon. We have code like this on Lanyard on the mobile site. If it's Opera don't do stuff. I try to reliably feature detect fallback because there's a lot of events there to tell you and you could uh, you know but if the page is loaded the first time it's not in the cache, so you then have to reload it to make sure it's from the cache and then make a request to something that would satisfy a fallback. Unfortunately, the events fire in lots of different, uh, different times in different browsers. The spec says to so only fire in all of these uh, events after the page is loaded. Not all browsers obey that, so a lot of the times the events could have happened before you get a chance to listen to them. By trying to feature detect, I'd have got too many false positives, so it was not It was so much easier to do this. Looking forward to removing that. So we're using the, the manifest for site content only. All users are going to have the same manifest. Don't even think about trying to give different users different manifest files. It's just didn't even bear thinking about. So where do we store the user-specific data? Well, we've already heard about this. We'll use the, the the local storage or one of the other storage JavaScript APIs like WebSQL or Indexed DB or the uh, offline file system. So I've thrown together a, a quick demo of how you would use this. So we're going to take a look. Uh, from here. This is, these are my test articles. You can see that I have two test articles. One of my test articles is a bit bigger than the other one, but never mind. As you can see, there's a, a button there uh, for saving for offline access, and that's fairly the metaphor falls over. And so, if I click that, what's that button actually doing? Well, when you click that button, it what it does is it gets the the HTML for the page just straight from the body, and it gets the path name of the URL, and then it sets that the, the the HTML into <coughs> the local storage using the URL as a key. And so it also updates another object in, in local storage to act as a kind of index, something that we can quickly use to see which pages are available offline. So now if I were to disable the connection and refresh, the page works, but what it's actually doing under the hood is falling back to a completely different page, which is re-rendering a page from local storage. What it does is it looks at the URL path because the URL stays the same even though it's fallen back. Looks to see if there's anything in local storage for that, and if there is, puts it back on the page. Dead easy. This is a real simplification of, of the method. You'll want to you know, catch cases where you don't have anything in local storage or where the index hasn't been created, etc., etc. But if we go to the index page, because we've got that quick lookup in local storage, we can easily indicate to the user which pages are available offline, and they can control that. That's, that's really good. The index page itself is also saved offline. We just save that offline every time. And if the user visits a page that they've already decided they want to cache, we put that back into local storage because we want the version in local storage to be as up-to-date as possible. This is the same mechanism that we use on them.lanyard.com with a few slight modifications. We store JSON rather than HTML. But it's a more efficient use of local storage, I'm interested in looking into some of the UTF-816 stuff. It's quite clever. I hadn't thought of that. Uh, we, we split each event into four JSON files, one for the event itself, one for the schedule, the attendees, speakers. It means we can update those independently because you know, we find things like the attendees changes more frequent than the speakers in the schedule. And so when you hit a page about a conference, there's version numbers and data attributes that tell the, the, our JavaScript if it needs to go and fetch these JSON files to, to update itself. We render those into moustache templates as well. We share the same moustache templates on the server uh, with the clients, so there's no repetition there. Uh, there's some repetition in the view functions, kind of looking into ways to get around that. The server also remembers what the user wants cached. Uh, so I don't have a connection, so I'm missing this particular event that I've visited because it's now gone into the past. We have track and attend buttons. We'll cache anything offline that you want to track or, say, you're attending. And then when those go into the past, like this one has, we clear that out of the cache, and that's the way of, of managing this because the, the mobile site's kind of targeted at uh, future and current conferences. And so if you change device, because the server knows what you want cached or your phone crashes or whatever happens to it, we can quickly repopulate all the data that you want available offline just with one visit to the site. Yeah, and we can expire that when it goes to the past. We also have sort of more error detection, because anything every time you use local storage, uh, you'll want to be wrapping that in the try-catch block in case you know, it can't for whatever reason, probably because you've exceeded your quota or something else, but it's always something good to protect against. And um, the system isn't perfect because there are uh, the situations on particular mobile devices and uh, just issues with the specification. Online is when you click on a link on the site, it fetches it with XHR, and it just changes the page that way, and it updates the URL with push state. We get a minor speed boost from avoiding repartments <coughs> from JavaScript, but it's mainly about giving the site more of a kind of application feel. Unfortunately, a few devices have trouble with cache XHR, or cache requests in general, but it's most obvious with XHR. jQuery of the libraries. You'll have seen this pattern before. Um or something similar depending on if you use deferreds or not. You've got a .done callback and a .fail callback. Unfortunately, some devices return a status code of zero from XHR requests that hit the cache. They don't uh, maintain all of the headers when it goes into the cache. And to jQuery, that looks like a failure. So devices that have this, things like iOS 3, which is in the past now, so that's fine, but also current BlackBerry Playbook, the Android 3 and 4 browser, the same thing we're talking about there. Android 2 is fine with this. Uh, but that bug is in 3 and 4 and you get saying same push state missing it's very odd um, how can we fix this? so we fix this by running a callback no matter what, no matter how the request comes back if the status text is abort and that's something jQuery sets internally if uh, you, you abort the request then we exit early because we know yeah, that's definitely a failure if there's a response text um, property on the response object that's not there in a success case So that kind of looks like it's a failure, but it might not be. But then we look to see if the status code is is less than 400, and if it is, we assume that's actually okay. Because the response text is still there, it's just the status code is wrong. So we we recover from that. that. Yeah, that solves the BlackBerry problem and the old Android problem. And otherwise, yes, that is an error, we deal with it. And then we do, you know, this is a success case. They might not have gone through any of this. That browser bug is, it's a browser bug rather than a specification issue, but the specification has some ways to make our life more painful as well. Uh, in page requests, they, they go wonky again. Anything that is a, a delayed request, you'll find it especially annoying, and that's mostly XHR. So earlier we found out that um, any page, any request triggered by the HTML page from a, a, a cache page, that goes back through the cache system it will always use the cache. Things that, you know, images, CSS, JavaScript, it will retrieve according to the, the host page. However. If your page was requested normally, from like, you know, used fallback, or you used network, or if it wasn't cached, then all in-page requests will also be requested normally. AppCache won't take any part of it. So if a user looks at a page while they're offline, uh, or in fact, when they look at a page when they're online, but then later go offline, like they're driving through a tunnel or whatever, new connections will fail. Even to files that you have in your cache, they will still fail. Lanyard gets around this by, if one of our XHR requests fail, Uh, we just change window.location to whatever the request was, and that will just throw everything back up to the start of the diagram, and it will come from the cache. Another drawback to this method is the fallback technique gives us problems with error feedback. So you might have seen before, I snuck in some uh, small print. When fallback's used, it's only used if the initial request (coughs) fails, but what constitutes a failure? A failure is a general networking error, DNS, whatever, an HTTP response code with starting four or five, four or four five hundred, or a redirect to another domain. And that can seem really odd at first. I mean, when I first read that, I was like, redirect to another domain. Why is, why is that treated as a failure? It's to cater for these, these uh, captive portals. You know, you're on some kind of Wi-Fi and it wants you to pay for it, so it'll redirect you to another domain, asking for your credit card details. However... That clause means you can't do server redirects legitimately. If you do a server redirect to Twitter or Facebook for authentication, um, application cache will see that as a failure and you won't be allowed to do that. You'll need to provide a login link for the user to click. That'll actually take them to the other page. Unfortunately as well, when a fallback is used, one of these things, or any of these things, we're not told why. There's nothing in the API that'll tell us which one of these things happened. And that means we've got quite vague error messages because we don't really know why we've got to this page. Uh, but that's it really. Uh, that's, we've covered most of the gotchas, and it's turned what was a very simple diagram to start into a big, horrible Christmas tree, I guess. <laughs> but, yeah. The point I tried to make in the last 40 minutes uh, is the application cache is a douchebag. As, as part of my personal therapy at, at work, I have a set of post-it notes, and... I have one. I've got one for each browser, and the theory is I can draw a little cock against whichever browser has made my day particularly unpleasant. But I had to create a separate one for the application cache, and it very quickly became riddled. But the app cache is actually extremely useful. It can do stuff no other feature can, and so we need to be able to, to learn to work with that and work past all of the flaws. His mere presence on the site will completely change the behavior of the site. It's not progressive enhancement at all. You have to build your whole site around it, which is fine with things like SpriteCow. Otherwise, you need to look to sandbox the, uh, the application cache. Use the iframe trick, make it so there's only one page that the application cache is fully in control with. Use the application cache for static files, and then use local storage or something similar for, um, for anything that's optional. There's Soon we'll have this uh, offline file system uh, where we'll just be able to completely control what goes in there and what goes out and we'll end up only having to have a very, very simple application cache just for the first connection and then JavaScript will have full control over what's uh, what's available offline. We won't have to use uh, application... Uh, we we'll won't have to use local storage or index DB. We'll have an actual file system to play with or what looks to us like a file system. And that's it, really. Um, you can email me, tweet me. I've got the... Uh, demos and stuff on GitHub, so you can have a look through those. There's a couple of tests I wasn't able to cover, so they're on there as well. The slides, that's the (coughs) URL, which you can guess the last place I gave this talk. Uh, But I will put them up on the the Lanyard page for London JS as well. And that's it. Thank you very much. (laughs) Any questions? To you second. You, you've had your chance. <laughs> no, it's fine. Yeah, so uh, I had a general feeling that you find uh, application cache difficult to work with. <laughs> <laughs> uh, have there been any? Have there been any? 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 Any procedures? Any? Uh, has there been any attempt to rectify the spec? Has there been any, <clears throat> any fix? All these problems? They, they have a ticket open for the Lanyard case, not not because of Lanyard, although I've, I've chimed in with. Exact, the, the workaround that I uh, mentioned here, the iframe trick, how we had to kind of, you know, they came up with this spec to do this and we had to completely twist it and bend it just to do what we wanted. So they knew about it and they are bouncing some ideas around. I imagine what we'll, what we'll see is either the cache manifest getting a lot more complicated with a lot more rules and that'll be when we should have used, um, should have used JSON for it, or they'll use something completely different, and that's what I imagine we'll get. Um, I don't know a lot about the offline file system stuff but I imagine that's going to replace it. Uh, which is basically, you ask the, the browser, I want to save this file, I want it to be this size, and then you can write binary data to it. Um, the same way you deal with the file system API, but it uh, it goes offline, and then you can request that later on. I imagine you'll still need to use application cache for that first request, for the bit where the browser goes, oh, you've hit this URL, I'm not even gonna try and make a connection, I'm just gonna show you this page. Um, I. Th- I've, pretty sure that the what WG guys know they fucked up. <laughs> so they are, they will make something different. Uh, I was just going to ask your your iframe wrapping trick sounds really good. Is there a liability in the live with yours or someone else's that does that for Because the reason I've not played with this is it's all sounded too difficult. Yeah it's a, it's something I've been asked for before, but it's it's it is as simple as putting an iframe on a page. Yeah. Um and, and then it, the rest of it is just the application cache. You've got It will then go to that page when you're offline. The, 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 most, the most complicated bit is what you do then. It's building up a set of view functions, your templates, uh, that sort of stuff. You probably use something like Backbone to, to handle that if you want. Um, we didn't use Backbone because we had all, most of the model was uh, already there for us in the format we needed it. We didn't need to use a lot more of it. We just needed to throw it at a mustache template and it went. Um, we use some of the event stuff from uh, from backbone, but not much else. You're saying about the redirect stuff being broken. Um, does that go for like meta refreshes and things as well? Not for meta refreshes, no. It's only um, HTTP free, what, what. So we can, st- we can still fake it to some extent? Yeah, and even then, if you're changing the your URL with JavaScript, even if you fell back to location, dot equals whatever, that that's fine. It won't get in the way with that. So yeah, it's a good, it's a good way to get around it. In online yard, we just have a big login button that turns you off to Twitter. Which is what we do anyway, so it wasn't a big deal for us. I'll come back to you. Um, I'm intrigued by the uh, we were talking about fallbacks because our experience with fallbacks is that the uh, picking the longest one doesn't work, and it will pick the first. Really. Well, that's, that's interesting. I, it doesn't surprise me compared to with all the other mess, but it's not something... I think online we're actually only using the one fallback so we get away with it. Right. It is just uh, the basic one. For things like images, we're, uh, even fallback imagery, we're just relying on the normal browser cache because we've got um, a tiny bit of JavaScript that just uses the um, capturing part of the event loop that says if anything errors and it's an image, hide it, no, visibility hidden, because we normally have a background color or something there to, to handle it. Uh, there's a few special cases where it's better just to collapse and use display non, like for the maps. But yeah, we really like to, to do something with that. And the, the page that you put in the iFrame that is um, the one that has the manifest, that is also your fallback page, right? Yes. So does that also contain code dealing with all of your potential fallback situations? So we have... Uh, some of that's just catered for in the JavaScript, the general JavaScript that the rest of the site uses, because we just can't concatenate everything, and it's there. Uh, that's got the view functions in. That's got, um, yeah, the view functions and the controllers. Which, which basically the same thing, right? Uh, and the stuff which deals with uh, putting stuff in and out of local storage. The templates are inlined in that offline file, because, uh, uh, because we, we needed to use Django as part of it, it's just the, the back end of lanyard. So rather than sort of trying to make, a, have a separate JS file that's <coughs> dealt with that, we just, it was easy just to inline it all into the in that file. It does mean we still need to uh, change that comment if we change templates. We've also got another trigger as well, like um, we've got a couple of panics, which is like if we've changed the structure of the models, because you know, if we update the templates, some people have still got the old uh, model data. Uh, so we have like a version number there as well. If that version doesn't, add up, then it just ejects all the data that's in local storage and refetches it all so it knows it's got something that's compatible with that template. Um, I was going to ask, is, is 30x not required for zero? So if, if you want your app to auth against Twitter or Facebook or, or whatever, does that, met, does that imply Um, uh, so it, I think tell, tell me if this answers your question or not it's got a bit lost If, if it, um, I'm not sure what counts as a redirect to the application cache I'm not sure at what point it will decide that that's a failure uh, it, the spec doesn't say HTTP go starting with free it says a server redirect so something which is I, I'm not sure at what point it makes that decision whether it, it, it tries half the request and then fails I've got a funny feeling as soon as it says it, it, there's a HTTP header saying so redirect here. I imagine that's when it fell. Right. Just just I guess, but I don't know, so sure. So, so you are probably if you want to zero off. Uh, well, we use uh, off on Lanyard, but we've got... it's You, you use a to link, they go to Twitter that way, and then Twitter sends them back. Right. The so only, go yeah, around yeah. there. 300 uh, or 30x redirects on off. are... Uh, after you were allowed to They read right. right back to you. Most people, you generate a sign and you are to link That's how 98% of all work out there. Cool. Anything else? Again for Jake.